Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me is nobody this time. I'm flying solo. Taylor in Maui, Hawaii. The shark busy moving. So it is just me. You're going to have to listen to me and Burgo throughout the entire episode. How lucky are you? We are brought to you by Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel and the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. This episode of Feet is also brought to you by Beach House Soaps. No matter where you live, bring a little bit of the beach to your home with Beach House's all-natural soaps. Find them at beachhousesoaps.com. Your college hooper of the week this week is Bryce Brown, former guard at the University of Auburn. Of course, we will have Mike Burgomaster on uh, on the coaching staff of Auburn, so we had to go with the Tiger there. Bryce Brown, your college hooper of the week. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is. And make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Damel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the off-season curtains. We now welcome back to the program, best friend of the program. I think we dubbed you that last time we we were chatting. It's Mike Burgo, master from the Auburn men's basketball coaching staff. Burgo, what's going on, man? What's new? How you been? Subi, what's up, man? Happy to be back. Best friend of the program. Um, you know, n- not a whole lot new, you know, coming off this this past season. I think we, I think we might have talked either middle of the year or, or, or prior to the year, something like that. I can't even remember, but I, it was a weird year, obviously with COVID and everything. And, um, you know, uh, our guys are finishing up their finals this week and, and looking forward to, to getting them all back on campus and, and uh, you know, uh, getting after the summer. So the last time we chatted was before the beginning of the year. So I don't think we chatted at all during the middle of the season. Obviously you had a, you have obviously the, the the team to worry about, but then COVID, like you had mentioned. So I was looking back on it. I was saying to myself, yeah, when was the last time I chatted with Burgo? And it was maybe a little less than a year ago when shit was still really in flux. We had no idea what was going to happen with the season. And now here we are uh, with a, a, the season under our belt and 
clearly in a much better place than we were last year. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, it was, uh, you know, amazing that we got to play a season. Um, you know, I think, um, you know, our, all the players on our team were really grateful that we got to play. You know, I think our fans were able, were grateful that we were able to play. Um, and us as coaches were, were super, you know, grateful that we were able to, you know, be productive members of society and get to play a season. And, um, you know, so it, it, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it, you know, obviously not everything's back to normal hundred percent, but you know, uh, it's, it's trending towards that way. At least with people getting, you know, vaccinated and all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, ho- hoping that things will be back to normal by next season. There were a lot of things last year, wake when COVID hit, and again, all, everything was in flux. We had no idea what was going to happen. Now, there's a lot of conversations with people saying, "What is one thing that you may take that from COVID that you adopted during this COVID time that you're going to take uh, when we're back to normal, 110 percent?" Now, in this sporting world, especially basketball, we actually saw a change in attire. We saw coaches ditching the suit and tie and going tracksuit, polo, whatever it is. Did you enjoy that transition? Is that something you and Bruce and the whole coaching staff is going to adopt moving forward? You know, we have we haven't we haven't talked about it yet. You know, I think uh, there's been a, a few more you know uh, items on the agenda that have had a little bit more importance than what we're going to wear for next season. But um, I think I think we we enjoyed it. You know, I, I know you know I know there were some members of the coaching staff that you know we didn't make that decision until very late. So there was definitely a few members of the coaching staff that were. You know, I, you know, I just re-upped my wardrobe for this year. I got all these new ties, and new shirts, a couple new shit, you know, it's like we could have, we could have made a decision a little bit sooner, but, um, you know, that, the fact that you brought it up to me, you know, I'll make sure to bring it up in our next staff meeting so people don't make the same mistake again. But, um, no, it was, you know, you know, obviously there's been a trend in, in, in coaches like not wearing ties over, um, you know, the last few years, just because of, you know, you know, how stressful it is to coach and during a game. And I, like there's been coaches in the past, and I, I, I can't name any specific examples that have like passed out on the sidelines due to wearing ties and stuff. And so, um, you know, there's, there's just been a trend of being a little bit more comfortable. And then when you saw the NBA in the bubble, you know, they, they weren't all rocking suits. They were, you know, they were down there, um, you know, wearing their pullovers and polos and, you know, it's, it's, it's a copycat game in a lot of ways. And so, you know, a lot of coaches around the NCAA just kind of followed suit. Now I, I always kind of found it funny to be honest with you when, you know, one bench is wearing, you know, slacks and pullovers and the, and another bench is still wearing full suits. And I, I thought that was a pretty funny dynamic, but um, we definitely, we definitely appreciated it. Uh, I mean, I was more comfortable. So, and with the, with the chairs being spaced out, that was nice too. I, I was like lounging out there. Well, we always, I mean, th- th- we've hammered home this joke a million times. It's a trite, old, tired joke. But Bruce is clearly one of those guys that sweats more than the average coach. So I'm glad he was able to get a little bit more of a, a leisurely approach going. Yeah, I mean, you know, he I don't think he ever really rocked a pullover. I think that would have been, you know, I think he was it was good for him to air out a little bit, um, you know, not, not have uh, as many layers on. So I think, you know, and he's, he's a short sleeve and shorts guy. Like it'll be, you know, it doesn't get super cold down in Auburn, but he, if he's coming into the office, it might be 40 degrees outside. He's, he's rocking a, a t-shirt and shorts. Like that's like, so to have the, you know, have the short sleeve look going at all times for him. He, he was happy about that. Well, and so you had mentioned some other coaches that stuck with it, that stuck with the suit and tie. I just vaguely remember Mark Fox at Cal. I think his whole coaching staff had still the suit and tie. And you know what? I, I had a bit of respect for that. It was like, 
respect that process. They weren't a very good basketball team. And I know you're too diplomatic to say anything negative about any other coaches or teams, but uh, I remember that. But I'll tell you what, another thing about the suits that you bought, it's still a good purchase, Burgo. Let me tell you why. You're entering that primetime age where all your buddies are going to get married. And now we're all going to be exiting this COVID pause where we couldn't do shit. And now you're going to be able to go to a bunch of weddings and you're going to have suits and ties to, to support there. So it's a really good point. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't think I thought about that. Look, I, I wasn't one of the ones that, on the coaching staff that was upset to, you know, I, I, you know, I like to dress nice, you know, I like to have, you know, uh, uh, you know, various different good looking things in, in my wardrobe and, and, you know, I, I can understand. I can understand why some people, because they probably spent a little bit too much money than they, that, you know, than they would have liked at the time. But no, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm never complaining about how many clothes I have in the closet. So, a couple of weeks have now passed since the end of the college basketball season. Uh, Baylor dismantling Gonzaga in the national title game, but it's been a bit longer for the Auburn team. Obviously, what has this off season been like thus far? I mean, it's been a little bit over a month now. What have you guys been doing? Have you had now a chance to fully digest last year and now move on to the upcoming year? Yeah, so I mean, I think, you know, for us, our season ended uh, March 6th, which was a little bit earlier than, um, you know, a lot of other teams around the country, um, you know, and so we, you know, you have to take a mandatory uh, seven straight days off, you know, that's a that's an NCAA rule as soon as your season ends. So we did that, and then we got right back to work. Um, you know, the guys that, um, you know, stuck around and, um, stuck around in Auburn, you know, obviously we got to finish up the spring semester of class. We, you know, we had five weeks of, of strength training of, of, of basketball workouts and, um, you know, tried to build on some of the momentum of winning two of our last three games with, with the group that we had and, 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 you know, trying to build into a positive, um, you know, uh, momentum in, in the next year. Um, and so, you know, obviously as a staff too, you know, we took some time to reflect on, on this past year and, and try to identify some weaknesses that, you know, in recruiting and um, obviously, you know, like the transfer portal that we needed to improve upon. And, um, you know, we, we, we tried to, you know, and are still trying to, uh, you know, fix those problems. And, and you know, looking forward to, you know, this our spring period is now over. You have to take a, you know, you can't, um, you can't work out, the week leading up to finals and in finals. So, you know, this is our finals week. So we've been done now for two weeks. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get back and get going for our eight weeks of summer workouts, um, you know, in the middle of May. So we're, we're excited about that. Did you do anything fun during those seven days right after the season? Let's see. I mean, I think, I think I just, I think I just watch games. Um, you know, I think I, 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 you, we, you know, we're still going in the office and everything and still working because you just get into a habit or whatever, but, you know, start and just watch the, the, the conference tournament games. And then, you know, the next week is when the NCAA stuff started. So just try to watch games, try to, you know, soak in as much as what everybody else is doing. Um, you know, try to see some of the trends and what, you know, obviously the really successful teams that, you know, went to the NCAA tournament were doing and, um, just yeah, just tried to be a sponge as far as um, you know college basketball goes. Well, this is the first time in quite some time for you personally to not have been on a staff that wasn't playing in the NCAA tournament. Keep me honest there. Obviously, last year I'm not going to count that because of the COVID pause. Because I mean, every every other team was in the exact same boat as you, sitting on the couch. But was the when was the last time you were not participating in the NCAA tournament, with the exception of last year? Was it at Miami? No, so it was it was my first year at Auburn as grad assistant. Um, it was the sixteen seventeen season. We we didn't make the tournament that year, 
the following year we we go on win the regular you know the SEC regular season where I think we were a four seed in the tournament final four year and then obviously the the, the COVID year so we would have been coming off three straight appearances. Gotcha, gotcha. So I do want to talk about last year though because at this point now Auburn has arrived. You have the final four under your belt. You have those conference titles under your belt regular season and you come off of a season this past year, if we're being honest, you're probably disappointed with it. I think you went 13 and 14. What was the general feeling of the team and also the coaching staff at the end of this past year? If I mean, it's it's very easy for us to just look at the record and in a million years, whatever, 50, 60 years, people are going to look at that record and say, oh, that was probably a disappointing year, but they didn't realize all that went into it with the pandemic and every other adjustment that you had to make. Can you give us a sense of the general feeling of uh, the team and the coaching staff when last year finished up? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the immediate general feeling is, is well, it was, it was Coach Pearl's 600th win. So, you know, we ended the note, we, you know, we ended the season on, on a high note for him. Well, it wasn't necessarily a high note for this particular team. You know, those guys came to play at Auburn for him and, and, and you know, love him as a coach and as a mentor. And so to earn such an amazing accomplishment for him, you know, was definitely a high note to end the year. Um, I think, you know, not and not any sort of way making any sort of excuses for this year, but, you know, we were statistically the youngest team in all of college basketball. Um, you know, we didn't play uh, the, the one game with our full roster at our, you know, at our arsenal. And, um, you know, so I think this year was definitely a growing year. I think, I think you know, the, the players on our roster learned a lot about themselves. I think we as coaches learned a lot about, you know, um, what we need to do a better job of. And, and you know, I think we, we definitely grew a lot this year and are excited for, um, you know, some of the momentum that we built towards the end of the year, winning two out of the last three um, and, and, you know, winning, win, you know, beating some ranked teams, um, you know, at home and, and, you know, just looking forward to trying to get the jump, you know, the Auburn arena, the jumble back and, and, and rocking and, and, you know, put together a successful 21, 22 campaign. Was 600, was that the very last, game of the season yeah so we beat uh we beat that's how you end on a high note damn all right State. yeah so we you know um and he and you know he knew it was kind of coming up but he didn't realize it was going to be his 600 so you know it's not you know our, our marketing department and a lot of like you know the the support staff at auburn did a really nice job we had a bunch of shirts ready and and you know the, the fans you know the, the the limited crowd in the stands had you know these signs and it was it was a nice moment um for the team to celebrate coach and, and his accomplishments how does a coaching staff celebrate a Bruce Pearl 600th milestone victory? Because we see uh, with you know any sort of documentary style filming of a basketball team, a football team, there's a distinct difference really between the players and the time that they spend. And then, you know, the coaches have their own little fraternity as well. Did you guys do anything special for, for Bruce, just the coaching staff? You know, I think, I, I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the we probably stayed a little bit in the office a little bit longer after a game than we normally did and just sat and kind of reflected with him. Um, you know, I think for, in a, in a lot of ways too, it was kind of, well, it was, you know, that, that milestone for him at the same time, it was the end of a season. And so there's, you know, kind of a breath that you take and, um, you know, kind of get away, you know, like I said, we were still coming in the office, but not necessarily regular hours. There's kind of, you kind of take a breath and, and, you know, we kind of took that breath in, in, in preparation for the, the following week in which we knew that we were going to get, um, get going with our spring workouts. So I'm um, just, you know, just kind of reflected and, 
you always love to listen to coach tell tell stories about you know what these milestones mean to him and um you know he always jokes that you know all this all this win all these many wins just means i'm really old like that's what he that's what he likes to say but um no it's really just a testament to you know, he's won everywhere that he goes um you know he's got a a really great system and and you know he's he's uh, he's one of the best coaches in the country it, um and it's been a pleasure to work for him and it was awesome to be a part of that accomplishment undoubtedly undoubtedly i i didn't know that that was the very last game of the year so that's true i mean that's a nice way to completely cap it off now burgo you had also mentioned a great point you weren't a hundred percent fully staffed if you will with your roster for any game is, is did i hear that correctly right correct yeah so I want to talk about one player in particular, and that's Sharif Cooper. What a stud, first and foremost. That kid came on like an absolute lightning rod. I, I don't remember. When did he make his debut? Was it sometime in February? Was it January? So it was – I want to say it was middle of January. We, we played a home game against Alabama. Um, unfortunately, couldn't come out with the victory. But, um, you know, you know, played them within four points. They wanted to win the league and, and, and go to Sweet 16. And um, But, yeah, uh, you know, Sharif – was an unbelievable boost for our locker room. Um, you know, he, um, unbelievable kid, you know, has now declared for the draft and, you know, we wish him the best and, and we're super excited to see where he goes, you know, for, 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 you know, we're hoping that he's going to realize his dream and we think that he's going to realize his dream of being a first round pick and playing in the NBA. And, you know, we're so excited about that because that'll be three straight first round picks for, for Auburn, which is, I mean, you said you, those were your words that we arrived, but you know those are just the accomplishments that you start to rack up when you're when you're trying to be a really competitive basketball program. Um, and no, yeah, Sharif, um, you know, just a, just a really special talent and his ability to see the floor and make plays for others. Um, you know, he's he's a smaller guard, but he's he you know he's not afraid of anybody. He's not going to back down from anybody. Um, you know, can can finish. Um, get foul, get to the foul line. And it was just a great leader for our team at such a young age, being a freshman. Um, and, and, you know, it was, it was, it was awesome. I w- you obviously wish we had him for more games, um, but it was, it was a pleasure to, you know, have him in our program. And, he, you know, he's going to be um, a, a large supporter of our program. He's always going to be a part of our program. Um, you know, he's just he, – he, he loves Auburn. And, and you know, um, even though he's here for a short amount of time, you know, was, was really excited to be a part of it. The thing that was most stunning to me is that there was zero learning curve. It seemed like the second he was thrust into a game situation, he was playing as if he was playing not only just this whole year, but like had an entire year under his belt of college basketball. Did it shock you how quickly he was able to impact a game? I mean, uh, yes and no. I mean, you know, you know, he had, he had practiced with us um, over the summer, um, and and then you know, uh, like so you saw what he was capable of over the summertime, and and you know we had a, I think a little bit of no, you know, we, we, he was allowed to practice with us, um, you know, a couple weeks leading up to um, that game. So you know, you and and it was a testament to him. You know, he kept himself in shape, um, and and you know did a really good job of of staying ready for when his his number was going to be called. Um, and so, uh, you know, he was a really special talent in high school. I mean, like, you know, one player of the year awards nationally as like a junior in high school, um, was a McDonald's all American and was a really special, you know, talent. So, um, kind of, like I said, yes and no, like, because you, you knew what he was capable of. You didn't necessarily know that he was going to do it right away. Um, but, uh, yeah, he he came out and. Um, once he shook the rust off a little bit in the first half, got his legs underneath him, he, uh, he, he did what he does. And that's, you know, 
um, you know, be the point, you know, be a, be a general on the floor, um, you know, make plays for others and, and just be like an electrifying offensive player. I mean, look, for a freshman to come in a couple months into the season, it's a compliment to say that he only had a half where he was quote unquote rusty. A lot of, a lot of times freshmen will have an entire half of a season, not just a half of their very first game. So, you know, Sharif Cooper, I remember texting with, with the shark and Taylor, we were saying, look, there's a lot of good guard play and Cooper came in right off the bat, not showing any rust in our opinion, but last season he was fantastic. If we stick with the theme of last season, Burgo, I had referenced the national title game between Gonzaga and Baylor. Now you guys were one of the very few teams. Keep me honest here. You might've been the only team that played both Gonzaga and Baylor during the regular season. I want to start with the Bulldogs though. That was the second game of the year for you guys. After two games, were you able to identify that this was a team not that was very good because they were the number one team throughout the entire year, but did you in your wildest imagination or did you see on the court from the sidelines say to yourself, these guys can definitely go undefeated throughout the entire year or at the very least they can go undefeated entering the title game on Monday night. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think you also initially identified they're, they're really good. Uh, and, you know, uh, we got to, we got to see them the day before to play Kansas. Um, you know, I think, I don't know. I don't want to jump and say like, yeah, I know that they were going to be, you know, all undefeated all the way to the title game. Um, I think because, you know, we didn't get to really have scrimmages or exhibitions or anything. It was really like the first couple of times, you know, it was the first time coaches were really seeing their teams in a, in a, in a, a live setting. Um, and, and so like kind of, you know, obviously the game's going on, you're watching them, but like we're still learning so much about our team at that time too, that it's, you know, um, it's, it's hard. It was hard for me to say that I could have made those predictions. Um, you know, I think, I think what really like solidified it for me, as far as like Gonzaga being the type of team that could run the table. Um, I, I want to say is when they, when they beat Virginia, um, I think, um, you know, that was a game where, uh, you know, Virginia was, was playing really well at the time. And I think Gonzaga just, you know, made every shot and just, and guarded and, um, you know, they, they had such talent at the, you know, at every position and, um, you know, they were, they were a really good team. And there's, I mean, there's a reason that they went undefeated all the way into the last game. You know, I think, um, you know, they, they were, they were set up to, to make that, that run. Um, now, now Baylor, on the other hand, if that's where you're going to transition to, you know, we played them um, in, in either late January or early February, something like that. Um, you know, and uh, at that point, you know, I, I kind of felt like, okay, we, we've definitely seen the two best teams in the country between Gonzaga and, and, and Baylor. Um, you know, and then Baylor had a, had a COVID pause um, and, and didn't come back and necessarily start playing their best basketball. So, you know, for me, I kind of thought that Gonzaga was going was gonna to go undefeated around the table and win it all. I think for whatever reason, you know, my, my mind kind of switched and – like Baylor started playing really well in the tournament and started looking like they did when, when, you know, we played them um, before their COVID pause. And I think Gonzaga's like late game heroics against UCLA was kind of the first time they had had that real true scare. Whereas, you know, Baylor had come off um, and, and, you know, just, just dominated. Like Baylor was, Baylor was unbelievable in their final four games. Um, And so, you know, I, I originally at the beginning of the tournament thought Gonzaga was going to win it all just 
based on their offensive ability, but the way that Baylor just start got back to their form and you know in the midst of the NCAA tournament, um, I think it's they were definitely the best team. I know that's yeah. kind of an answer on both sides, but that's that's sort of what I saw. No, that's fantastic insight. I mean, the Shark and I also had Baylor winning the entire thing, but you know, and and, and it's it's kind of looking back on it, and even in the moment. I think after Baylor, it actually might have been after they beat you guys, I, I texted the group and I said, I think I'm taking these guys to win the entire thing, right? And it's like, oh, Subi, way to go out on a limb, right? <laughs> you know, you're not being very adventurous at all. But I've, I genuinely could not see a team beating them, including Gonzaga. Now, Burgo, again, I know you're a very diplomatic, nice guy, but I want you to be brutally honest with me here. As someone who is on the coaching staff of a Power 5 conference, how much do you think the Baylor test of the Big 12 versus the Gonzaga test of the West Coast Conference played into this? Are you are you buying into the notion that conference play and conference competition matters? You know, I don't necessarily know that I buy into the to the notion of of the competition matters as much. Um, you know, I think Gonzaga plays a really difficult non-conference schedule and definitely has some really competitive teams, um, you know, in, in their league. And, and, you know, a St. Mary's, a BYU and a and a, um, and a, like a like a San Francisco, even at times has, has given them really good games. Um, you know, I think I, I really just think tournament success is, is about playing your best basketball at the right time. And so, like, you know, our biggest challenge as coaches is to find a way to have our teams and, and our players peak at the right times. I mean, like that, you know, you know, we, we weren't, I don't know that we were necessarily the best team in the regular season or even in our conference play when we made the run to the final four, but from the month of March on through, you know, up until the final four, you know, we, there was nobody playing at a higher level, you know, that, that we went up against until we saw Virginia, you know? And so I don't necessarily know if it's about who you play as much as how you're playing, if, if that makes sense. No, it does. And then one of those players, uh, for Baylor, obviously, is Davion Mitchell, a former Auburn Tiger. So tell us some of the emotions, and were you guys able to reach out to him, congratulate him? Was there any sort of uh, uh, you know connection there that you guys had with Davion after his Final Four run? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, just I'll just talk about me personally, but, you know, Davion um, came in as a freshman my second year at Auburn. Um, you know, as a graduate assistant. And so our graduate assistants, we spent a ton of time with the players as far as just, you know, getting to know them and, you know, kind of helping, especially freshmen too, just kind of helping them, you know, come to college and, and kind of the whole onboarding process as far as like, you know, getting where they need to go. And you just spend a lot of time, you know, rebounding for them in the gym and, um, you know, just you, you create a bond um, that, you know, it, it's just, it's just a couple of people working together towards a common goal. And obviously, you know, that's, that's part of team sports, but I, I just think as a graduate assistant, you grow super, super close to, to these guys. And so, um, you know, I was, I was so thrilled for Davion, you know, um, ever since, you know, even, even going back to like his junior year when he was all defensive team and made like all big 12 team, uh, you know, you know, one of the teams or whatever, there's always been, I've, I've always reached out to congratulate him and, um, you know, our, our staff, you know, he's, he's a really great kid. Um, and it's, it's awesome to see that he's like flying up the draft boards because, you know, he's an unbelievable kid and, and works really hard. Um, and, you know, we're, you know, 
really happy for his success and, and, and his happiness. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it was really cool to see his ascension, you know, through the tournament and just being the complete, you know, offensive and defensive player that he is. Transfers played an integral role not only in every single Final Four team, but it seemed like throughout the entire country and the transfer portal, we'll get to that in a second. I do want to get your thoughts on it. But if we look at the Final Four teams, right, UCLA, Johnny Juzang, Houston, Dejan Giroux, two studs for them, Baylor. I mean, I feel like you could name off almost every single player. We just talked about Mitchell, uh, the guy from Presbyterian, Adam T or Adam Flagler, excuse me. And then uh, obviously Gonzaga with Andrew Nemhart. Transfers are a big deal now. And you made waves a couple weeks ago in landing Walker Kessler. Talk me through that process of uh, reaching out to Walker and first of all, gauging his interest. How did you get him to come to Auburn? Yeah. And so, and so Walker just signed officially yesterday. So I can talk about him for sure. So um, congrats. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, Walker is somebody that, um, you know, our, our staff first offered when he was a sophomore in high school. Um, and so there's always sort of been that relationship there. Um, you know, he, you know, we recruited him as a senior in high school and he, when he's a really good player. And, and um, you know, when he, he decided to go to North Carolina, you know, it was, it was, it was something that, you know, we wished didn't happen, but obviously it did. And then you got to just, you know, um, lick your wounds and, and, and try and figure out something else. And so when he, you know, when he announced that he was going to transfer, um, you know, there was a, a, there was a pre-existing relationship there between, you know, coach Pearl, coach, coach Stephen Pearl, um, you know, on our staff and, uh, you know, just kind of reached out to, to kind of, you know, build that relationship again, or, 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 you know, re, you know, re, uh, ignite that relationship. Um, and, you know, it just kind of felt like him, him being close to home, close to his family. You know, he he lives about an hour and a half, hour forty five from from Auburn's campus, and um, you know we have you know we have a great um, you know history of of bigs that that'll shoot it. Um, you know, we do a lot of like interchanging with our bigs at the four and the five, and um, you know he kind of felt like this is a place where you know his game could grow, and um, you know that's kind of. You know, one of our biggest things at Auburn is like, you know, it's it's, it's a place where if you really want to you know, become a better basketball player, you're going to have all the resources and all the opportunity to do so. So um, I think that was, um, you know, kind of one of the major pitches. What role is he going to play next year for, for you guys? Is he going to be coming off the bench? Obviously, there's a lot to be determined through the offseason practices, et cetera, et cetera. But what do you guys envision the role for Walker Kessler? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like I said, there's a lot to be determined through the offseason. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, Coach Pearl probably said it best when, in his quote about him um, that he talked about, you know, during his signing. And that was the fact that, you know, he's, he's going to be a mismatch as someone that can stretch the floor um, and, and score both inside and out. Um, and I think, I think the quote that uh, Coach Pearl used was, you know, he's excited like an artist to like his hands on a piece of clay and that he can just like, you know, work with and, and um, have a lot of options and have a lot of freedom. And um, yeah, I mean, he's going to play, uh, you know, a major role for us and we're, we're excited to have Walker. You've, you've described your roles and responsibilities over the past couple interviews that we've done with you over the past few years. Do you have a hand in recruiting, whether it be high school recruiting or transfers? Do you play a role in that at all? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think you know I, I sort of assist our, our assistant coaches a little bit more. You know, they're going to be the primary recruiters. Um, you know, I'm kind of more in the trenches helping them prepare material um, with our, our video coordinator, uh, Ian Borders, who does an amazing job of preparing our recruiting material and giving our coaches all the resources that they need um, to, you know, um, you know, uh, attract recruits. Um, you know, and then I think I think the the area where I probably help a little bit more is just helping, you know, putting eyes on on, on the on guys in the transfer portal and, and and evaluating, you know, if they're a fit for our team. Um, you know, in my current role right now, like I can't go on the road to AAU tournaments or anything like that. Of course, nobody could this past year, but um, you know, with all the streaming and stuff that they're doing now too, you know, it's it's uh, I, I, you know, I help in, in the evaluation process more so than the active like recruiting process, but. You know, the, the, the one thing I'll say, too, is I'm definitely more involved. And now that we're going to be getting out of this dead period we're in where we haven't been able to have kids on campus, you know, I, I definitely have a more active role when the kids do come to campus um, and, and just kind of pitching what Auburn is and, um, you know, being a resource for them. Because, you know, in my particular role, I do, you know, I'm, 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 I work with the, the, the guys a ton. It's just as far as like, you know helping them with whatever they need on campus and that sort of stuff. So just trying to build that relationship, even, even when they are recruits, when they come on campus. So I'm very curious, Berger, you mentioned something very interesting to me. You said, I have to evaluate if I think they'd be a right fit for Auburn. Is there a set criteria that you have in your mind? Is there something that you say to yourself, Hey, at the very least, this guy needs to check these three boxes, these five boxes, is there a set criteria that you have in mind when you're evaluating a player on and off the court? I mean, I think, I think a little bit, I mean, I think, you know, like coach Pearl's kind of had a mold for what his successful teams look like as far as, you know, um, you know, being really quick and, and like great on the ball defenders at the guard spot, being able to shoot it, you know, being able to, you know, make moves go by your man and create for others. Um, and then, you know, have bigs that can stretch the floor, shoot it, you know, run the floor because um, we play at a really up-tempo speed. So, you know, there are certain guys that are really good basketball players that may not necessarily fit that style. Um, and, you know, I don't necessarily know that it comes down to four or five attributes, but, you know, you con- you, you, you have to do, you know, put on your imagination cap and, and say, like, you know, could this guy be really successful in, in our system or not? Yep. That No, that, that makes complete sense. And so how does recruiting a transfer – differ from recruiting a guy from high school, would you say? Obviously, you had mentioned, even in the case of Walker Kessler, you have a previous relationship with him, but is there a different angle that you think the coaching staff has to take when it comes to luring a guy who has played two years at a particular place or even a graduate transfer who's played four years at a particular place? Is there a different approach that you have to take with transfers versus high school kids? I mean, I think the biggest thing that you know we've learned um, since the transfer portal's been in existence in the last couple of years is I think the biggest thing with transfers is that everything just kind of moves a lot quicker than it would with a high school kid. I think, I think a lot of times high school kids really enjoy the allure of the recruiting process um, and, and kind of like enjoy dragging it out for, you know, a lot of the attention. I'm not saying that in a negative way, you know, like you're the bell of the ball. I'd love that shit. Exactly. Exactly. Whereas I think as, as you know, transfers, whether they're, you know, they've played one year or as they, as, as they continue to get older, it becomes a little bit more of a, a business decision, as we like to say, or just like a straight up basketball decision. It's not as much about, you know, the campus or what my major is going to be or that sort of stuff. It becomes more about like, is this a place where I'm going to get better and display what I'm best at? Um, 
and and you know we we kind of talked about with the transfer portal that like every day is kind of like a week. So like you know you know one of my roles as far as like I I'm scouring the transfer portal. I'm refreshing refreshing that thing every 20 minutes because you know if you don't jump on a kid that has you know has recently entered the transfer portal within a period of time, you're you're kind of already out. I wanted to get your thoughts on the transfer portal because. That is a, I mean, if you're, if, if one of your roles and responsibilities is keeping an eye on that thing, man, good luck to you because it is scorching hot right now, especially with the COVID stuff, the new rules, the free year of eligibility. Well, so first of all, let me ask you, what do you do? Do you just follow all the insiders and refresh Twitter all day? Is there a, is there like a website that you can refresh? Because I mean, it kind of sounds like when I have to tweet out theater, I'm on the ESPN app, just refreshing a useless Pepperdine game or something like that. I'm like a Neanderthal just refreshing. Is that what you, what are you up to? So there is a, there is an official portal through, through the NCAA website. Um, you have, you know, you have to be um, a college coach or whatever to, to get access to it. In fact, I think they actually just put something out that if you like share your login, like it's, it's a, it's a violation or something like that. I, I don't know the, the specifics of that, but yeah, no, there's, there's, there's a website that you got to go in and you got to log in and it's, a whole database of, of kids across all the NCAA, not just in basketball. Um, but like, you know, you could get access to any sport to see who's in the transfer portal. And so, yeah, I mean like every, you know, I gotta, I gotta refresh it every 20 minutes or so and, and you go back and change all the filters and, and um, it's a little tedious, but um, you know, it's just, it's just kind of one of the responsibilities. Um, and then, you know, our, our, our staff, we have a group chat, um, you know, when, when, when somebody whose you know initial numbers or something might you know might jump off at us, we have a group chat called the portal with, with a nice picture of like it looks like like a, a time machine type thing um, as like the logo for our group chat, and so that's just kind of where we communicate all, about all all the transactions happening in there. Are there anywhere you're just like you refresh and you see a name pop in there and you were like like your jaw dropped? You're like, wait, no way. Let me refresh one more time to make sure this is this is actually happening I mean, you don't have to give names but was there was there anything like that where you said no way i mean i think yeah i mean i, I especially think you know and, and i can't talk about names at all but you know I, I especially think with um you know the way that the way that you know especially early on when we didn't know that this one-time transfer exception was going to be a thing um you know like we didn't know for also we you know there was indication that it might happen but we didn't necessarily know for sure that it was going to pass and so yeah there's some names of, of of definitely some guys that's just like really you know and they're like i didn't see that one coming at all so um but that's that's just kind of you know i and i, I mean I, I haven't been around in the industry enough to know you know what it's been like in the past but you know this is going to kind of be the new normal here for a while and so something else hits us and and uh you know just just kind of going with the flow and adapting and um you know doing the best we can to to stay competitive well you guys are clearly doing a great job of pivoting obviously we've referenced walker kessler you've gotten some great transfers in the past as well but a lot of journalists and a lot of individuals around college basketball pundits however whoever you want to call them are very vocal about 
this transfer portal and not in a very good light, Burgo. I'm sure you hear that all the time. What are your thoughts on uh, these new rules and the transfer portal? Because everyone's saying it's pretty much the wild, wild west. If a kid doesn't like where he's at, he's out and he can go play the exact next year. And a lot of people are saying, well, that's going to quell competition. It's going to be almost like a professional sort of deal where if a kid says, I want out, I want to play here next year. Do you have any general thoughts on the transfer portal? You know, I mean, I don't know, you know, uh, I understand like, it, it, you know, it, they want to make it as, as, as fair for the kids as they possibly can. And, you know, and I understand that, um, you know, I think there's a lot of sound logic behind the decision. Obviously, you know, for us as coaches, it, it, it does kind of make it the, you know, not necessarily the wild, wild west, but like, it's, it's, it's just tough. Like, you know, you got, you, you almost have to um, re-recruit your own roster every single year, just to, you know, just to, to know what you're going to work with. And then, um, you know, just because the because the deadline for the one time transfer, at least this year, is, is not till July. You know, you, you don't know if you could have a major roster shakeup. Um, you know, until that point, and, and and you know that's tough because you're here. You are over the summer trying to build this this foundation of of what you're going to be and what you know your identity, and all of a sudden a major roster shakeup could happen. So, um, you know, I don't have any I don't have any two like I don't have any big opinions on it. Um, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm adaptable. And, and like you said, like uh, what we're going to do at Auburn is we're just going to pivot and we're going to figure it out. And um, whether it's something that we like or something that we don't like, it, it is what it is. And, and you know, all we can do is just um, you know, do our jobs to the best of our ability to, to adapt. College basketball, a lot like other sports, is very cyclical in the sense that for five to ten years, there's a blueprint that you can point to a lot of teams that have been, that have been using to, to find success, right? I feel like in the nineties, even the early two thousands, you're building through four year players. We didn't see a lot of one and dones. And then as we enter coach Calipari, coach K and some of these other more successful coaches, probably late two thousands. And even, even as recent as maybe six, seven years ago, these guys were getting to the final four with one and dones. Now we had obviously mentioned all the final four teams had an impactful transfer. Do you find now that in, in staying hip with the curve, do you find it now more important to go after transfers or do you prioritize transfers over net new recruits coming out of high school? You know, I think, I think there's, I, I think there's a lot to be said for what age and experience brings to the game. At the same time, I think it's our job to put ourselves in a position to be able to take the best player that we possibly can or the one that fits that we do, you know, what we do at the best that we can. So um, I don't know that it's necessarily cut and dry. We'll prefer one or the, over the other. Obviously, like you said, there are some trends in, in transfers and age having more success in, in, in as far as winning a, you know, a championship. But, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different factors that, that, that go into it for it to be cut and dry. Let's, let's phrase it like this five years ago, right? Burgo five years ago, 2016 graduate assistant, do you think you're refreshing the transfer portal as often as you are today? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I, I don't, you know, this, I think, I don't even know what the number's up to, but it was crazy that, you know, the, the transfer number for this, you know, transfer cycle, whatever you transfer season, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. I don't know that we have a term for it yet, but um, you know, it was already higher than last year's, I think before the national championship was even played. It's just, you know, it's, just, it's, it's crazy. It's different, but it is what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Now, there's an added layer here over the past couple of years in terms of recruiting. How do you combat the G League? 
And I don't know if it's necessary, if combat is probably the proper word, if it's the right approach that you have, but more and more players coming out of high school are going straight to the G League because that is now an option. How do you deal with that sort of new wrinkle? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, it's 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 definitely another you know competitor for some of the, the top prospects coming out of high school. Um, you know, um, before you see, um, you know, obviously, you know, whatever schools that these kids are putting in their top four or five now, whatever, for whatever reason, you know, when they're putting out these lists, there's there's the G League or there's, you know, the NBL um, over in New Zealand. And, you know, those are just um, additional competitors that, you know, with with any any you know pitch that you're trying to give to a kid you got you got to show the pros and cons um and you know you know the g the g league option this year um you know was what it was obviously with a covid year um it was you know in a bubble and um they only played a limited amount of games and 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 all that sort of stuff and so um it's still kind of new and forming and we're still kind of learning you know what really we're up against i guess if that makes sense um and it's constantly you know um, evolving because you know that's, that's a league that's not obviously held to the same standards that that we are um, as far as like what's permissible and whatnot. So um, you know I, I don't know that I could tell you right now like here are the three things or here are the three reasons why, um, but there's definitely pros and cons to both, and um, it's just you know got it's identifying you know what what pros are the most important and, and what cons may be the most um, you know uh, detrimental. So yeah. Uh, definitely some additional obstacles that I'm sure when Bruce started off did not have to deal with in terms of uh, his his recruiting. But I, again, that's a testament to adapting and and pivoting and and staying with the times because the most successful coaches over this course of time, that's exactly what they've done, right? I mean, you look at the most successful coach. I don't know how Bayheim's still winning games. It's insane. That guy is that guy's been there since like our parents were in college. Uh, but it is it is nothing nothing short of remarkable. So, Burgo, you are a Boston kid in the SEC. A couple of weeks ago, tragically, we did lose Terrence Clark, a Boston kid playing basketball in the SEC. Did you ever have any interactions with Terrence Clark prior to his passing? You know, I I, I didn't personally. Um, you know, knew who he was. Obviously, being you know one of the best players in the Boston area in a long time. Um, you know, I. It was it was really really sad, you know. And I I actually I happened to be in Boston too when I when I heard the news and just kind of you know just just kind of shocking and tragic and um, you know you pray for his family and pray for his friends and um, it's just it's just it's really saddening and um, you know you know my heart and, and and I know our program's hearts go out to you know Kentuckys and and to the friends and family of, of, of Terrence and. You know, it's definitely, definitely a big blow for the the basketball community, especially the bas the, the Boston basketball community as well as the SEC basketball community. And um, from everything I know about him, he's a great kid that had really big dreams of uh, you know being a, a great role model for you know kids like him and growing up in in, in you know this, the city of Boston and um, just just a really really tragic loss. I can't remember if he was injured prior to. First of all, how many games did you guys play against Kentucky this past year? One or two? We we played two, and he was um he was he was injured for for both of them. Both of them, okay. I mean, the, the guy from what I've heard is just a matchup nightmare in terms of trying to prep for him. And obviously, it was it, it, we all got robbed of seeing him in college. And uh, very well, very well said though, Burgo. It's it's very uh, obviously, like you had mentioned, sad. 
but having perspective as one of the rare guys from Boston in the SEC like Terrence, uh, that perspective is definitely valued over here on Titch. Uh, so I'm going to pivot a little bit now here back to the NCAA tournament and your rivalry. And again, be honest with me. And I can see you now. So I'm going to convey that to the to the theater goers here. Be honest, was there a little bit of you that was happy that Bama lost in such excruciating fashion? Now, they kind of got ran out by UCLA in the overtime, but it's all, that, that might almost be worse as a Bama fan where you're like, oh, man, we just hit this insane shot to force overtime, and then we've just completely run out of gas. Did, did that give you a little bit of a Grinch smile there, Burgo? I mean, what I'll say is, um, you know, as at, you know, watching it as someone that's not in, was not in the tournament, um, you know, it is, it is, you know, kind of exciting to see up upsets, but no, I mean, uh, you know, there's, they, they were really good this year, um, you know, and they, they, they dominated an SEC play, um, you know, and UCLA um, clearly was just a team that, you know, had, had some special in them and, and was playing their best basketball at that time. And, um, you know, they had UCLA obviously almost took, you know, Gonzaga, you know, obviously for, if it not for like a half court bank shot too, you know, who knows what, what would have happened in that game too. So, um, you know, I mean, Alabama had a heck of a year and, uh, you know, had a really good team, really good staff and, and um, just, you know, it's, it's really hard um, to, to get to advance in March. It just, it, it just is, you know, you could be playing, um, you don't know who your matchup could be or how well they're playing at the time. It's 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 really, really hard. So I feel a little dirty, but because you are a best friend of the program, I feel like transparency and honesty is the best policy. I took Bama to the Final Four, so I was livid when, <laughs> when UCLA completely ran him out. Obviously, I'm not out here blaming kids, whatever, but – I was I was really disappointed twofold. One, I thought Bama was the better team and obviously had them in the Final Four. But two, I'm over here as a Pac-12 guy who is – I mean, look, I, I like UCLA, and it's good for the conference that, that they went far, and the Pac-12 had a wonderful tournament. But I'm over here being like, damn, how did these guys already surpass us in terms of getting back to a Final Four? <laughs> yeah, I mean – you know, I kind of felt like, and uh, you know, I, I hope they're not listeners and I'm offending them, but I felt like the selection committee just like didn't stay up late enough to watch the Pac-12. You know, they were, I felt like they were all pretty underseated and um, yeah, they played really, really well. Um, you know, I was, I, I had, I hadn't really watched much of Oregon State before, but they were really, really fun to watch. Um, and, and, you know, obviously UCLA made that major run and, um, you know, USC and Oregon, um, you know, both played really, really well too. And um, yeah, the Pac-12 was, the, the, the Pac-12 was uh, really fun to watch in the tournament. They were, they were, well, they were. You know, I'm thinking their seeds are going to be a little bit higher next year. So, put some respect on their name, Burgo. Well, I will say the Iron Bowl will not be the last game where people are going to be drawn in to Bama versus Auburn for sure. I mean, I can't wait for not only the football rivalry to renew, but after that, you both are going to have fantastic teams that we're all going to be looking forward to catching. I'll get you out of here on this. If we go back to earlier uh, in this interview, we talked a little bit about Sharif Cooper and how he's most likely going to see his dreams realized of becoming an NBA player, getting his name called. That's fantastic. It's fantastic for your recruiting as well. But the other night, your boys, Chumo Kiki and Isaac Akaro, they balled out. Did they not? A couple yeah. of good good nights there, and I saw you tweeting about it. I was looking at it, man. They're they're having some really good good seasons. Yeah, no, it's unbelievable. You know, both in their rookie years, um, you know, both of those guys were unbelievable. 
to have like around on a daily basis. Um, just really good players, just like have unbelievable feel. And so, you know, for me, you know, one being a Celtics fan and then two having those guys um, to support um, on a, on a nightly basis and also getting a chance, Jared Harper being with the Knicks too, to, to catch him every once in a while too. I, you know, I had to get the league pass this year. Um, and so, you know, I was, I was flipping back and forth um, watching both of those guys have, have, have pretty big nights. You know, Isaac had, I think that was his career high as far as points, you know, just doing it, um, you know, cutting, um, you know, driving by people, you know, knocking down shots. And then Chuma was, was unbelievable on both ends, you know, um, obviously had that major dunk that was like a sports center top 10. I don't know if you saw it, but, you know, got, got yeah. a little piece of Andre Drummond and, uh, and then, you know, had on the other hand, had the responsibility of, of guarding Anthony Davis. So um, it's crazy to think that, you know, that, you know, those kids were just kind of in our locker room, you know, not, you know, just within the last two, three years or whatever. And here they are, you know, playing against the best in, in the world and, and, and driving out there. Well, I think it's pretty great that both of them have are in positions or are on teams where they have the opportunity to flourish. Like, like I mean, if, if we're being honest, the Magic and the Cavs aren't very good. And, hey, if, if Kevin Love keeps up those temper tantrums, we might be getting more Isaac Okoro as well. But, uh, you know, it's it's great to see that these guys – and Aaron Gordon getting traded from, from the Magic. It's great to see these youngsters getting some early run in their NBA careers sort of – uh, cutting their teeth, like you had mentioned, on an Anthony Davis. That's not. It's not a very easy uh, experience for a rookie. But I, I'm also curious. Do you text these guys after these types of games? Are you in close contact with them? You know, every every once in a while. Not not you know not super super frequently. Um, but no, like what you know, our whole staff you know has relationships with these guys. So you know, it's it yeah, always giving them words of encouragement or or even if it's just a good job or you know. Like just how you doing that sort of stuff, yeah. Just, just, just want to always because, you know, kind of going back to what I talked about about being a GA. Just you know these 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 experiences and these runs, they just create lifelong bonds. And even if you know a guy like Isaac that was only here for you know one year or however many months it actually was, you know that's a, that's a bond that you know we we went through some things together. You know we battled as a team. You know obviously that rock, that locker room is really close, but us as coaches too. You know we're 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 big family, and um, yeah, that, those are lifelong relationships that. I'm looking forward to see them grow and, um, you know, it's exciting for both of them that, you know, those two organizations see a lot of, you know, see them as winners and, um, you know, you see them as foundational pieces as, as those organizations try to build back up to prominence. So, um, yeah, it's, it's super exciting for those guys. Hey, last but not least, has Rothstein blown up your phone yet? Has he been blowing you up this past off season? Not, not, not blown up too bad. You know, he, uh, he'll reach out about, about scheduling stuff every now and then, but no, not, not blowing, not blowing it up. Um, I don't, you know. I think he, he's he's only concerned with teams that you know just made the tournament. So we got to get back into his good graces. But no, I mean, he, he, you know how he is. He's a he's a junkie and and just eats and sleeps and dreams college basketball. Yeah. Well, I mean, be careful with what you wish for. That might be the only drawback of getting back into the NCAA tournament is Rothstein just blowing up your phone. But you only have a few more days left in the month because, as he always says, we sleep in May. So if you can if you can get through this week, you should be good to go, man. I'm looking forward to a couple of weeks of hibernation. So and then, and then we'll get back to workouts. Really appreciate the time, Virgo. Thanks so much for jumping on. Uh, we'll catch you next time down the road. Best of luck this upcoming season if we don't chat with you before the upcoming season. All right, bud? I appreciate it, Subi. Shout out Kimball Farms. We talked about it before the show, but best ice cream in the world. 
That's an absolute fact. I love that shout out. Maybe we should get sponsored. We should get sponsored by them too. <laughs> work on it. Thanks. Just work on it. Thanks, Burgo. All right. We want to thank Mike Burgo Master for jumping onto the program. Always appreciate when he uh, when he stops by. Some wonderful insight on the off season. Some great great insight on the transfer portal and recruiting. So Burgo, we appreciate that. Uh, we always have a segment called where am I? So let's dive into where am I? And it's going to be a little bit different now. What we usually do is we identify a player or former player and see what they're up to these days. Are they in software sales? Are they a real estate agent? Are they some sort of developer? I'm going to give you a where am I of all the transfers. The transfer portal and transfers have been a very, very uh, specific and heavy topic of today's show. So I'm going to go down the list rapid fire because there's a ton and I'm definitely not getting all of them, but these are probably the more notable ones. Where am I? Walker Kessler from UNC to Auburn, as we discussed ad nauseum, really. Cutis Wahab from Georgetown to Maryland, a bit perplexing after the run Georgetown had in the Big East and the role that Wahab played, but he goes to Turgeon at College Park. Matt Bradley going from Cal to SDSU, uh, more shredded than a Julianne salad, Matt Bradley is. Timmy Allen goes from Utah to Texas, huge get from Chris Beard. That's going to be a theme in this list, James Akinjo going from Arizona to the national championship Baylor bears. That's a huge get for Scott drew to, to really load up and solidify that point guard position. Garrison Brooks going from UNC to Mississippi state. When I was looking at this list, there were some that I said, Oh shit, really? They're leaving. That's one of them. I did not know Garrison Brooks was going from UNC. He goes to Ben Howland in Mississippi state, uh, Ben Howland. I thought he was just enjoying himself in Starkville, not really trying it looks like that's that's not the case. Liam Robbins goes from Minnesota to Vandy. Jaden Gardner from ECU to Virginia. Xavier Johnson from Pittsburgh to Indiana. Myrian Jones from Penn State to Florida. Kellen Grady goes from Davidson to Kentucky. Is Calipari building a little bit of an A-10 pipeline there with Kentucky? He brought in uh, Jacob Toppin from URI last year. Earl Timberlake, early front runner for name of the year, goes from Miami to Memphis. Oscar Tshibwe, uh, definitely mispronouncing that name, goes from West Virginia to Kentucky. Dylan Disu from Vanderbilt to Texas. There's Chris Beard again. Davion Harmon from Oklahoma to Oregon. Miles Johnson from Rutgers to UCLA, another guy that I said, wow, he's leaving. Kadari Richmond going from Syracuse to Seton Hall. Umar Balo goes from Gonzaga to Arizona after Tommy Lloyd leaves the assistant coaching position at Gonzaga to take, take the head coaching position at Arizona. Again, Chris Beard getting Christian Bishop from Creighton. Marion Jackson goes from Toledo to ASU. That's a really, really good get for Bobby Hurley. Fats Russell goes from URI to Maryland. Uh, very polarizing figure Fats Russell is in Kingston. Brady Manick and his hair going from Oklahoma to North Carolina. He's probably going to backfill Garrison Brooks. Boogie Ellis leaves Memphis, goes somewhat home to USC. Boogie Ellis is from the San Diego area, but he leaves Penny Hardaway. DJ Jeffries does the same thing, except he's going to Mississippi State. Again, Ben Howland showing a bit of a resurgence in getting DJ Jeffries and Garrison Brooks to come to Starkville. Joseph Yusefu from Drake to Kansas. You'll remember Yusefu probably had the dunk of the NCAA tournament in the playing game. Aljami Durham. Al Durham going from Indiana to Providence. Jordan, Jordan Goldwire, excuse me, a defensive pest leaving Duke 
to go to Oklahoma. Tanner Groves, who made a name for himself, not only with his looks, but his game against Kansas. He's leaving Eastern Washington to go to Oklahoma. Uh, Porter Moser already hitting the road hard. And then Cole Swider. Cole Swider leaving Villanova to go to Syracuse. Deshaun Schwartz leaves Tad Boyle and Boulder to go to George Mason. First really big get for Kim English as he's the head new head coach there at George Mason. Then last but not least, we rounded out with Chris Beard getting Devin Askew from Kentucky. So as we discussed with Burgo, just an insane amount of transfers going on uh, right now as this show comes out on the 28th of April. That is where these transfers are. We may be seeing a few more. Who knows? But I hope that was a quick rapid fire, and, and that'll catch you up to speed on where the hell all of these brand names, big names, and names that should sound familiar to you will be playing their basketball next year. We also had a guy like Mac McClung put his name in with Drew. He's back at Texas Tech. Uh, so th- there's just a lot going on uh, and you know, you got to keep on top of it. So hug for all of those transfers and thank you again for listening. We'll catch you next time here on theater and college hoops. And my time was running wild A million dead-end streets And every time I thought I got it made It seemed the taste was not so sweet So I turned myself to face me But I've never caught a glimpse How the others must see the faker I'm much too fast to take that test Ch-ch-ch-change it Turn and face the strain Ch-ch-change it yes. Don't want to be a richer man Never leave the stream of warm and permanent sand So the days float through my eyes But still the days seem the same And these children that you spit on and stay Try to change their worlds Are immune to your consultations They're quite aware of what they're going through Change it, turn and face the strain. Change it, don't tell them to blow up.